from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. So hello, you're listening to the CER podcast with me, Beth Oppenheim. And today I'm talking to Ian Bond, who's the CER's Foreign Policy Director, and Agata Kostinska-Jakubowska, who is a Senior Research Fellow in our Brussels office. Hi, both. Hi. Hello. And today we're going to talk about democracy and the rule of law in the EU, on which you have both just published a paper. So Article 2 of the Treaty of the European Union says that the EU is founded on the shared values of democracy, the rule of law and respect for fundamental rights. But we've seen that rule of law has hit European headlines over the past couple of years with high profile incidents of member states backsliding. So listeners will be familiar with the EU Commission's legal dispute with Poland over the independence of the Polish courts and with the disciplinary action initiated by the European Parliament against Hungary over its breaches of core values. But your paper makes the really important point, I think, that respect for the rule of law is not only declining in Central Europe, although media coverage might have us think otherwise, it's actually declining across the EU. So, Ian, tell us, how is it that you know that respect for the rule of law is indeed declining in the EU? And do we know why? Well, one of the good things about this subject is that it is widely internationally studied and so there are a lot of international indicators that you can go to to find out what the situation of the rule of law in different EU member states is. Uh, so one of the most comprehensive is run by the World Justice Project and they look at a wide range of indicators for about a hundred more than 120 countries worldwide, 21 of which are in the the EU, and they look at a variety of different uh, aspects of the rule of law, including things like how much is the government constrained by the judicial system, by civil society, and so on. Um, how does the criminal justice system work? Does it guarantee the rights of suspects, and so on? So you can look at, at that. Uh, there's the Economist Intelligence Unit, uh, which looks at the state of democracy in a wide range of countries, again, looking at a, a lot of different indicators. And Freedom House's uh, Freedom in the World annual report, again, looks at uh, rule of law in many European countries. And from these things, you can build up a, a, a picture of the fact that on a pretty broad front, the rule of law is declining across Europe, and that's quite a problem. Do we know why it's happening? I mean, in some cases, you you can hazard a guess based on things that are happening, as it were, in the real world, as to why people might feel that the rule of law is less well respected in their country. So uh, if you take the example of Ireland, which is a country where perceptions of the rule of law seem to have declined quite a bit, although it's still above the EU average, but it used to be a lot further above the EU average, then there seems to be a connection there with some scandals involving the Irish police 
and some issues which have been raised by international bodies about the way in which Ireland is proposing to appoint judges in the future and, and whether in fact the judiciary will be fully uh, independent politically. So that that's one thing. If you look at Greece, you can look both at a, a problem of resources for the judiciary, which comes out of the austerity that Greece has suffered over the last decade or more, uh, but also at the notorious case of the chief Greek statistician, official statistician, who was effectively convicted of putting out accurate statistics which were inconvenient for the government, which had been lying to its international creditors about the state of its economy. So those are the sorts of things which affect people's perceptions of the rule of law. Right, and we know that recently the new EU Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, has promised to conduct an assessment of the rule of law in all member states. As it stands, does the EU have enough data to be able to actually identify when problems are developing and, and where are the gaps? I think one of the problems that the EU has is that it's defined the rule of law almost exclusively in terms of the independence of the judiciary. And so it's not looking at a broad enough range of um, indicators. And secondly, it, it has a tendency to ask member states to mark their own homework. And that's not always the, the best way to get an objective uh, readout of the situation in the country as it's perceived by people outside the government system. So if one takes the, the question of the independence of the judiciary, the EU has quite a good justice scoreboard that it publishes annually. And that's based on surveys which are carried out on behalf of the EU by the Council of Europe. And they in turn are based on surveys which are sent out to member state governments to um, to fill in for themselves. Now, they're still quite useful, but it would really be a good thing if the EU also involved civil society in the collection of data, uh, get themselves a, a broader range of opinions, and if they used their own fundamental rights agency based in Vienna, which has a lot of expertise, but which has not so far been tasked to produce this sort of, sort of data for the Commission. And if they started to look at a broader range of issues, including in particular media freedom, and again, the EU funds a media plurality monitor, which has shown some really quite seriously negative trends in some member states uh, in relation to freedom of the media and intimidation of investigative journalists and so on. Uh, but those, the, but that data, the the information that's collected, is not really being used by the Commission in getting a comprehensive view of the state of the rule of law in member states. And I mentioned briefly Hungary and Poland in the introduction, the most high-profile cases of backsliding on the rule of law. In your paper, do your findings suggest that these two countries have a point when they complain that the European Commission and the European Parliament are actually singling them out unfairly? I mean, I don't know what Agatha thinks. From my perspective, I would say that the Commission is right to say that there are very serious problems in the rule of law in Hungary and Poland. But Hungary and Poland are right to say that they are not the only offenders. I would probably draw a different conclusion from the governments of, of Hungary and Poland. They would probably say, and therefore we should all be allowed to get away with it. I'd say, and therefore none of you should be allowed to get away with it. 
Yes, absolutely. I I agree with what Ian has um, uh, just said. Um, what has been happening in Poland and Hungary, um, their attempt to undermine, or sort of their government's uh, attempt to undermine the rule of law, obviously, um, uh, um, requires um, action, uh, requires response uh, from the EU and the EU institutions. But I think one of the main points um, that we are trying to convey in, in our latest uh, policy brief is that the EU needs to develop a more comprehensive uh, instrument which would be monitoring the respect for the rule of law in all uh, uh, member states equally strictly because this is the only way the EU can successfully respond to populist narrative in Poland, Hungary uh, whereby the governments of those countries have been saying that they are being singled out for failing to um, fall into line on controversial uh, for them issues like the refugee um, uh, policy or perhaps even you know climate um, uh, climate action. But I think I would add also one more point to what Ian has said. Um, when we were looking at the um, existing um, instrument uh, to address the um, rule of law backtracking, I think we came up with a conclusion that in theory, as Ian said, the EU has what it needs, but it just uh, does not really use um, those instruments efficiently. It sort of uh, its anal analysis seems to be um, too narrowly uh, defined. But also, uh, we spotted that um, the response towards backtracking in Poland and Hungary um, was uh, very much inconsistent. So just to take a step uh, back, whereas in Poland, um, the European Commission decided very quickly to launch the so-called Article 7 procedure after the dialogue, the dialogue with the government uh, failed. In Hungary, it took much more longer, uh, even though, in fact, the Polish government was very much copying and, and pasting what happened previously in Hungary. So uh, another point I think we are also trying to convey is that the EU needs to be consistent uh, in its action, no matter whether the government uh, defined governments belong to the mainstream political uh, parties or not, which, as you will know, is not the case in Poland, because the government, uh, the governing party belongs to the European Conservatives and Reformists, um, uh, uh, not to the, any of the mainstream political formations. Right. So you said just now that the EU has the tools that it needs to address um, backsliding on the rule of law. What actually is in the EU's toolbox in order to monitor and also ensure respect for the rule of law? I think Ian has already in a very n nice manner wrapped up um, what the EU uh, has to offer, basically uh, the instruments it can it can draw from. He mentioned um, uh, EU monitoring mechanism like the Justice Scoreboard, uh, but obviously the problems uh, the problem lies elsewhere, very much 
the uh, data that is gathered uh, is provided by the EU member states uh, rather than by uh, other also independent sources. So as you will probably imagine, <laughs> we are arguing that that should uh, change, um, that they should draw from the expertise of other international organizations. But then obviously there, there are also instruments which we qualified or sort of defined as early intervention and problem solving. We've already mentioned the Article 7 procedure, which I think both Ian and myself see as a very inefficient way of dealing with the defiant member states, precisely because this is the uh, instrument whereby it is up to member states uh, to decide whether one of their fellow members is uh, backtracking on democratic value. Obviously, this instrument could lead to suspension of the, even of the voting rights of such a member state. But if you ask one uh, member state to assess what is happening in another, well, don't expect any, any far-reaching conclusions anytime soon. So this issue has uh, dragged for, for too long in our opinions. I would argue that one of the most efficient actually instrument that the EU used so far is simply referring the cases to the Court of Justice when a member state uh, backtracks on the rule of law and uh, breaks at the same time EU, EU um, directives or regulation, but also, as it was the case in Poland, um, uh, backtracked on the very basic uh, principles uh, like the rule of law in this particular context, the independence of um, a judiciary. What you argue in your paper is that there's been much too much emphasis on the punitive, on the sticks, and not enough emphasis on carrots, on incentives to respect the rule of law, but also to educate the general public as well. So what remedies would you suggest? I think what the EU has failed so far to do um, efficiently is simply um, assist member states in educating their public about what the rule of law really is about and what it means for individual um, citizens. No wonder that the societies of quite a few member states uh, are then pretty vulnerable to populist actions, uh, to democratic backsliding, and some of them are supportive of the so-called strongman uh, 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 rules. So uh, what we are arguing is that uh, the EU should spend uh, more money on uh, facilitating this public education, on boosting the public knowledge about the rule of law and actually implications of, uh, of uh, democratic backsliding for the European project as such. I think we, we had numerous discussions with Ian when we were writing this paper, because we both know that this recommendation is not going to be particularly uh, popular among the EU leaders, particularly those coming from net payers uh, uh, countries. Um, uh, who would want to see the next uh, EU long-term budget rather 
um, uh, trimmed than sort of, you know, uh, even more generous. But we argue that this is something uh, worth doing, something that uh, would um, help, I think, sort of make those uh, those those societies more um i would say immune to the populist narrative yeah i i think you know this is this is very important one of the reasons that we are in the situation that we are in is that i don't think most voters anywhere in europe make the connection between the rule of law and the effective functioning of the eu and the benefits that they themselves get from that. The single market does not work if the rule of law breaks down in a variety of member states. The area of freedom, security and justice, i.e. law enforcement, cooperation, borderless travel within the EU, cannot function if the courts are not working in a reasonably similar way in all of the member states. And those are things that millions of people across Europe benefit from. And so I think, you know, Agatha is absolutely right to say that we focus so much on punishing countries that, that are not respecting the rule of law. But we also have to concentrate on educating citizens to, so that they themselves see the value of the rule of law and put pressure on their own governments to live up to the standards that they have accepted as members of the EU. Great. And if I could just ask one closing question of you both, which is, which member states do you think that the EU should be worrying about in 2020? Which countries might well come into conflict with Brussels over this issue in the coming year? I think Bulgaria is a, a real issue. Um, a lot of the international indexes show Bulgaria absolutely at the bottom and um, with serious problems with uh, corruption over the effectiveness of the judiciary, over media independence and the like. So Bulgaria, it seems to me, deserves much more attention than it has had. And the other one where perhaps there is an opportunity to get off to a, a fresh start is Malta, where we had the, the awful murder of the investigative journalist Daphne Caruana Galizia uh, in 2017. And we, we've now very belatedly had the resignation of the Prime Minister of Malta and one of his senior aides who has been implicated in the whole affair. And you just have the feeling that maybe there is an opportunity there for Malta to make a fresh start with some help from the uh, from the EU, from the European Commission. I, I think it is also important to distinguish in between member states uh, where there is uh, backtracking on the rule of law, but it is more a result of either uh, institution institutional weaknesses. Um, or, uh, say, um, uh, other deficiencies. And we need to make a distinction between uh, with the countries where there is a deliberate attack on um, the EU fundamental values, um, uh, um, uh, including the uh, independence of judiciary. And 
there, there are various ways how the EU can, uh, can address it. I think we also uh, gave an example um, of Italy in, in our report, uh, whereby we have one of the longest, I think, uh, 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 sort of length of uh, um, legal proceedings in Europe. Uh, but obviously there are ways uh, how we can uh, address it, including by um, extra funding and training of, um, of judges. But I, mean, I think 2020 is still uh, going to be very much about uh, what is happening uh, in Poland and, and Hungary. Um, and I think in the next uh, couple of weeks, we will probably hear more um, about um, uh, um, uh, Viktor Orban's Fidesz party, because one, uh, one of the things we argue in our report is that there is also a certain responsibility um, um, on the shoulders of each individual uh, political families. And when they see that their uh, fellow members um, stop adhering to fundamental values, they need to be very straightforward and expel uh, such members. As we know, it has taken quite a long time for the European People's Party to take a decision on whether Fidesz should remain a member. Uh, of the EPP, but for some reasons I have an impression that actually with the new leader um, of the European People's Party, Donald Tusk, there might be some break for the question is whether the EPP uh, will decide to expel Fidesz or whether maybe Fidesz will leave the party uh, 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 itself. So the time will tell. There's, there's one other thing that I would say about 2020. And that is, it's the year in which the EU has got to agree the next multi-annual financial framework. In other words, it's seven-year budget. Uh, and that has two consequences for the rule of law. One is that uh, there, there may be some money allocated to some of the positive programmes that we've been talking about, um, a values and rights instrument, and perhaps some money for judicial training and so on. Uh, but the second point is that the question of the linkage between EU funds and the rule of law is going to come up again. Now, the data is pretty weak on whether countries that aren't very uh, strong on the rule of law are also bad at spending EU funds. And I think that there is a case for uh, digging into the data some more to see what, what the connections are and, for example, whether there is more corruption in places where the rule of law is is weak um, that might threaten the effectiveness of the, the way in which EU funds are spent. Uh, but there's no question that um, for at least some of the EU member states, and especially for the net payers, the question of what's happening to their money when it uh, goes to countries elsewhere in Europe who may not be living up to their obligations to the rule of law and fundamental EU values, uh, that question is going to be quite acute during the, the rest of this year. don't know whether you agree with that, Agata. Absolutely. I um, see quite a few parliaments 
of net payer uh, countries debating uh, uh, this issue already. And they will definitely push even stronger, try to ex exert pressure on their governments um, that indeed uh, there is a certain instrument in place uh, which would guarantee that the EU money uh, does not flow uh, to countries which are not respecting uh, the EU values. This instrument needs to be more legally watertight and that would help to see of accusations that the EU is prepared to bend its own laws to, to punish defined member states. Right, thank you both so much for talking to me today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Listeners can find Ian and Agatha's paper, Democracy and the Rule of Law, Failing Partnership, on the CER website. So for now, goodbye. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.